0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seifel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today, we're talking financials. Today, we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today, we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, September 15th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's Wildcard Wednesday show, we're digging into the current investing landscape in China with a special guest. Kai Zhang is a senior analyst with Esoterica Capital, an asset management firm based in New York City, New York, focused on investing in the digital economy. Formerly with Goldman Sachs, Kai is an expert on Chinese regulation, public policy, the tech landscape, and geopolitics. Kai is also pursuing a concurrent degree of Master of Business Administration at the Wharton School and Master in Public Administration at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Recently, I had the opportunity to chat with Kai about the current regulatory environment in China, how investors should view opportunities in the region, and much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Kai, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, you know, th- th- there are a lot of questions I want to ask, but really, let's just get right down to, to the, the, I think the question everyone has right now, all, all investors have right now, and that that's regarding the state of publicly traded companies In China? I mean, there has been a lot of, of, uh, I guess, volatility is probably the best word. I mean, a lot of headlines. Certainly, it seems like every day uh, something different is happening. And and, um, it it, it seems like the Chinese government has certain goals that they're trying to reach. Uh, But it's all still a little bit unclear, I think, for your typical American investor here these days. So give us your take on the state of publicly traded companies right now in China. Tell us what exactly is going on.
1: Thank you for the question, Jason. To answer your question, I want to quote one number, that is $1 trillion US dollars. Now, what that means, it means the total market cap of the publicly traded Chinese companies and the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and also the Chinese ADRs. That's how much market cap evaporated since the Chinese government launched its series of regulatory, we call it a reset. Now, why is that? The company, the the government now is trying to um, reoriented its uh, its policy um, to better suit the next stage of growth. And of course, with those uh, many regulatory overhauls, there are casualties, there are turmoils for the short term. But if you look at from the big picture, the government is really focusing on a few fronts. Um, the first one is anti-monopoly or antitrust. Uh, there is also to ensure the common pro- prosperity, which is more about economic um, uh, equality. And then there is also uh, the fronts on environmental protection and whatnot. So just
0: to give you a big picture view of what's going on in China. Right. so I mean, I understand there are a few different priorities there. I mean, one of the priorities I've, I've read about, and, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, it seems like one of the top priorities is trying to narrow the wealth gap. I mean, you mentioned creating uh, more, more equality in, in the wealth spectrum, right? Narrowing that gap as far as income inequality. Does that, does that feel like the top priority to you? Or, or is this like just a combination of a lot of different things? I think it's the latter, Jason. Uh, I think the Chinese
1: government is dealing with many issues at the same time. And it is a new um, kind of a stage in China's development. Remember that only 40 years ago, China was still a very poor, very um, rudimentary economy. And now I think some people are getting a lot of benefits from the economic development, but more are left behind. Actually, I want to argue that most are lagged behind. Um, I think before the President Xi Jinping he came into power, um, China's Gini coefficient was a lot higher than many of the you know, developed markets. Uh, actually, I, I think it's one of the highest among all of the world, uh, world uh, major economies. Um, so among many things, I think the Chinese government is really trying to tackle the problem of economic inequality uh, to sustain the long-term growth of China.
0: So do you think that what they're doing is the right way to go about it? I mean, do you feel like this is the most sensible way to to try to address the problems that they want to address or do you feel like there perhaps could be a different or a better way? Absolutely. I think it depends on which
1: um, perspective you have, how you you look at the whole um, overhaul. So there are two parts of any policy. Uh, one is the policy design, and then the other half is on um, execution. And I wanna argue that the ideals behind China's regulatory rehaul, um, I think it has very benign intentions. Now, in terms of execution, uh, I think no execution is perfect, especially on messy topics like income inequality, right? So here, I think um, China, is having good intentions getting to this, but then at the same time, I think the execution—they're not doing it in a perfect way, which is understandable.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's probably virtually every government around the world is, is probably guilty of that at some point, right? Not not executing it perfectly, right? Not ex- executing it to, to the extent that, that probably the majority of the people would would, would love to see. Uh, but with that. Uh, with that in mind, you know I, I was looking at a chart earlier today, and uh, just just comparing some of the some of the more well known names in in Chinese investment opportunities. A lot of the a lot of the names that we hear in our in our universe here at the Motley Fool, I'm sure a lot of the names that you're familiar with too, in mm-hmm. JD.com and Alibaba, Baidu, and even C Limited. It was interesting for me to see that year to date right year to date where the S&P has had a, had a, a per- pretty good year so far we're looking at around 20% returns right now for the S&P this year uh, you've got JD.com, you've got Baidu, and you've got Alibaba, all not only trailing the market, but in negative returns. Now, that's just year to date, right? That's just yes. year to date. And obviously, we take a much longer point of view, which, which I know you do too at Esoterica. We do. Uh, the one exception there is C-Limited. C-Limited is having a really good year up, up better than 70%. What do you think? What's the disparity there? Why, why, why is C-Limited seemingly exempt from this volatility? Absolutely. So C-Limited, um, I think it has a
1: um, slightly different exposure than all of the Chinese names you mentioned. Um, so Sim- Limited, actually, it's a Singaporean company and uh, its main market is in actually Southeast Asian. And the economy there is growing um, maybe in a different stage, but on par in terms of growth rate uh, with China. And then uh, um, in those markets, uh, you do not have the regular over- overhand as you do in China. So what we're seeing is that Investors are still hungry uh, for growth. They're you know finding this very scarce group. You all know that how difficult it is to find a really high quality growth in our world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then what happened is a lot of the investors um, in, in those Chinese equities, you mentioned jd.com and Alibaba, they're trying to actually um, transfer their exposure into uh, C Limited. It's a substitution of the many high quality Chinese names they just mentioned
0: because of this regulatory overhead. So when you see companies like, when you see those names, those businesses like Alibaba and JD.com and uh, Baidu, when you see those businesses underperforming in the near term, like, like we're seeing, and, and we know why, right? We, we generally speaking know why, I mean, that's why we're, why we're that's what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Do you view that personally or as, at Esoterica it, it, as, as a team there, how, do you view that as uh, concerning or do you, do you look at that as, uh, as an opportunity for investors who are willing to take the longer view?
1: Absolutely, I think it depends. Um, at Esoterica, we're very bullish, Uh, on the long-term prospect of china Uh, we do certainly understand there are the short-term concerns from investors especially on the regulatory side Um, our suggestion is for investors who follow china closely and who are comfortable with those risks um, we think now is a great time to increase your exposure in china but then at the same time uh, if you are not comfortable maybe the right way to do uh, to invest in China is to dedicate to some experts who um, who know the the, the area well. Um, so that being said, I think for the long term, we're still very bullish uh, on the long-term uh, prospects of China.
0: Yeah, and, and and I want to go back to the C-Limited for a second because I mean, the understanding is a Singaporean-based company and I mean, I, I wasn't trying to lump C-Limited in with other Chinese companies, but I think generally speaking on the whole, uh, investors tend to look at this from a very big picture perspective and say, oh, well, investing in that part of the world is too challenging. There are things going on in one government that may uh, bleed out into other nations that could be a problem for that general region. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I guess I wonder, ultimately, is when you look at a company like C, Uh, And you see what's going on in China regarding the regulatory uh, shifts that that we're that we're seeing. Um, Are there any other companies in the general region? Not necessarily Chinese. I mean, they could be Singaporean based. They could be anywhere else. Are are there companies that you feel like are you familiar with that phrase that we use the throwing the baby out with the bathwater?
1: Yes, absolutely. Are there
0: any companies out there you feel like these are these are babies that are being thrown out with the bathwater? Maybe investors are missing the real the bigger picture there. Absolutely. Uh, so, in the case of China, absolutely,
1: investors are throwing the baby out with the bathwater, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's an excellent point. Um, at, at the same time, um, although investors should take an, a differentiated view, um, you know, across the, the different uh, companies, say you know Alibaba versus Tencent, they have very uh, different risk profiles in terms of rank 3. and uh, um, I, I still think that this overall investor sentiment. Is significantly uh, impacted by the recent regulatory overhaul in China, and then uh, in terms of C uh, Limited, the the company a Singaporean company, uh, we were seeing that investors are flocking um, into C as a substitution to the Chinese names. I think actually it it proved that the Chinese model actually works, uh, because if you look at the um, you know Southeast Asian countries, um, they are uh, they're in some ways, they're emulating what China did maybe ten or twenty years ago, and they're on similar trajectories as China was maybe one or two decades ago. Um, there is a you know interesting dyna- analogy, Jason, I bet maybe you have heard about it, uh, which is C is the miniature version of Tencent plus Alibaba uh, in Southeast Asian countries. To um, mm. so that I, I found it's interesting and, and funny, but I think it's kind of true.
0: That is that is an interesting comparison there. Um, I you know so so I want to pivot for a second. And, you know as as an advisor here at the Motley Fool, they run a couple of investing services, and one of my jobs obviously is to find good businesses and recommend them to our members. Uh, I, I I get the question a lot um, in regard to Chinese companies and just generally investing in that region, not necessarily just China, but but companies in that region. Uh, in in, in I have owned Chinese companies before. Today, though, I tell people I don't invest in China because I simply don't, I I recognize for me, there's too much that I don't know. Uh, Or in other words, I know what I don't know. And I I don't feel like I can get a grip, at least to be confident enough to make recommendations, to feel comfortable making those recommendations, just, just because I feel like there's so much I don't know. So what do you say to the investor like me? Why should we invest in China? And furthermore, How should we go about doing it? Absolutely. Susan, first
1: of all, let me say that I really appreciate your uh, being very disciplined.
0: Um, (laughs) It's not always easy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We as the Esoterica, we have a tenet, uh, I think shared by many um, investors, is that uh, investing is essentially to monetize your understanding of the world. And if an investor does not follow a market or asset class closely, uh, then the best way maybe is to find better alternatives. so uh, we think that maybe the best option for people who want China exposure, but do, who do not follow the market very closely is to delegate to some experts in that area. So, uh, but then we believe that China still stands a very important source of growth. Uh, we, we mentioned about this, Jason, in our early conversation that uh, you know, growth in our world is scarce. Difficult to find, especially the consistent high quality growth you have been seeing in China for the last two or three decades. Now, how do I com- get comfortable with China's future? I think it relies on our understanding about where China came from, and where is China now, and where China will go for the next stage. Um, Ch- China is a very interesting country that um, it does not follow step by step. You know the the Classic kind of uh, political economic models invented by the Western kind of economists, because yeah. the country has lots of historical context that people from the West they often tend to overlook. Uh, but we, you know, we we were a bunch of Chinese nationals at Esoterica. we're U.S. educated and U.S. trained at you know some of the uh, uh, you know good institutions, and we believe that we can see China. Um, through not only through a kind of historical perspective, but then also incorporating a lot of elements um, from our kind of training in the, in the U.S. Um, and um, if you lo- see China where it is now and where it's going for the next decade, uh, we believe that China is doing uh, what it should do, um, aka you know, um, reoriented its its government and policy machine. Um, to fine tune it to suit for the next
0: stage of growth. What do you feel like, and you, and you got into this just a little bit here a minute ago, but I want to see if we can dig in a little bit more. What are the cultural differences between investing in China versus investing in the US? What, what are some of the main cultural differences that you feel like US investors should be aware of? Absolutely. it's a, It's a good question, Jason. <laughs> I think that
1: Top difference between investing the um, two markets um, is to appreciate the role of the Chinese government in the economy. I think that's number one thing that a lot of people tend to neglect. Um, and then I think maybe one year ago or two years ago, the trend was not that apparent, although you know you feel the presence of the government in the economy. Uh, but with the recent regulatory overhaul, you're you're feeling it in a more tangible way. And on top of that, I also want to add another, which is, um, let me tell you a secret, Jason, that <laughs> a lot of the American investors often uh, neglect that China is not precisely a system that operates um, solely on rule of law. Rather, I think the Chinese system operates more on what we call the, the rule of principles. So here the, the, you know the China's, Chinese political system, they believe that the, the ends uh, ju- justify the means. So there is not a kind of uh, um, kind of process justice. There is the result justice, right. As long as the government can get its goal, um, it does not bound itself um, to the rule of law. Um, yeah. So, largely speaking, uh, I think the Chinese regulators they have a very pragmatic view on the you know um,
0: the, the status of rule of law in the society. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you make there. To me, that that indicates, at least to me as an investor, that understanding that the the, the role the government plays it, in the near term, it sounds like it could offer up some unpredictability, right? Some things that would be very difficult to to, to forecast or, or understand exactly, but taking the Absolutely. longer view, it's, it's about getting to a goal down the road. And so you might see some bumps along the way, but mm-hmm. as long as you understand sort of where that proverbial finish line is and what they're trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. uh, it, it would encourage investors certainly just at least take that longer view, focus on investing in uh, companies you feel like that, that that can withstand those those bumps along the way, so that that makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. Particularly when you compare it to investing here in, in the United States, obviously a bit more just just rules and law focused. I mean that's that's sort of the way it's always been um, although I think that that certainly has been up in the air recently too it feels like for a lot of us <laughs> what what do you when when you're looking for opportunities in China which I know that you I know that you do I mean I remember when I, I spoke with Bruce here a little while back and we were talking about uh, some of his favorite opportunities in the area what are some of the traits you feel like investors in this is what do you look for and what do you think other uh, retail investors, what are some of the traits that you feel like investors should look for in uh, in finding those opportunities in China? What, what makes a good opportunity in China stand out to you? Absolutely. Jesus, I want to use a buzzword. It sounds cliche, but okay. then bear
1: with me. The word is ESG. Oh, environmental, yeah. I think social, <laughs> and governance. Yes. So, um, in the in the in the, in the uh, western capital markets i think now investors are embracing uh, more and more on the term esg but let me explain relevant in the chinese context i believe that the best chinese companies uh, at this stage uh, they will exhibit good track record and good intention and good willingness to comply to the esg standards the first one i want to talk about is actually about social you know how this um, Chinese regulatory overhaul started in the first place? Yeah. It was, you know, um, maybe over the last couple of years when a lot of the um, you know Chinese internet platform companies, uh, those are the made ones, there's all the uh, Alibabas. Um, they, uh, they they first they use heavy subsidies to get into the market, and then once they achieve this monopolistic status, they take price, and then the rate profits, which is very, very, very um, typical kind of uh, uh, very rational business behavior. But then in the meantime, that hurts a lot of the uh, you know, low-level employees or gig economic workers, gig economy workers in the, in the process. And that created huge backlash in the Chinese society. Um, so I would argue that when these companies were you know, taking price and whatnot, they neglected very crucial aspects on the social front in the ESG. And then that was one inherent risk embedded in their business model. So that's just an example. And then uh, of course, now I think most of the Western investors, they should understand the importance of governance. right? For example, property alignment of uh, interest and uh, of the management team and also the the shareholders uh, and also the prudent allocation of capital and whatnot. So that's just a given. Uh, It's the same thing in China too. And then also another thing I, I want to mention um, is on um, environmental issues mm-hmm. so if you look at uh, Xi Jinping's you know um, he, he has a um, he has a, has a book he has multiple you know speeches and whatnot uh, he repetitively mentioned and an one kind of priority policy which is on environmental protection um, so that's actually also another priorities for China going forward um, so it, when when she took power uh, in the in the early 2000, uh, say 2010, 2000, uh, 2012, actually he came into power. Uh, pollution, air pollution in Beijing, for example, was bad. Now it's much better after almost a decade of uh, uh, kind of improvement. And you're also seeing that China is huge in uh, renewable energy space and also EV. So these all show that um, companies that have good compliance or actively take on such opportunities, uh, those would be the ones that I would call exhibit very good traits um, in, in China as good investment model, uh, targets.
0: Okay, well, uh, putting all of this together and, and given what you and, and Bruce and the team in Esoterica are doing on a day-to-day basis, I I, I I have to ask, are there any particular Chinese companies that have your interest today? Where do, what what are you and the team focused on? What are a couple of what are a couple of businesses that you that you are really excited about there at Esoterica Capital today?
1: Absolutely, we have a uh, moderate exposure to China, and uh, uh, our mandate is really to find the best companies and the best investment ideas globally. I like uh, so that, that includes Thank That's you. That's a good thank mandate. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> well, it worked very well for us. And uh, in the meantime, uh, well, we we tend to take a very opportunistic stance. On how to actively allocate or risk exposure, and now uh, we're you know focusing very much on the Chinese because I think you know it's it's a very attractive uh, we think it's a very attractive sector. Now, in terms of what um, specific uh, securities we have, one um, such name on our mind, on top of our mind, is Tencent. Uh, uh, it's uh, the big brother, um, mm-hmm. kind of analogical wise. Um, it's the big brother of C Limited but it's in China. So the company, for people who are not familiar with Tencent, so Tencent really, the company can be kind of broken into two parts. One is on the social media. There you have the WeChat's and the the QQ, another instant messaging platform. Um, So those two platforms, especially WeChat, they became um, ubiquitous in China and they became the foundation um, of a lot of the Technology platforms in China. You can order, uh, you know, food on it. You can submit your COVID test results or vaccination record on it, and whatnot. And then uh, on the other side, Tencent also has a sizable gaming uh, uh, operations. Um, So they they provide the um, you know a lot of the, the the mobile games and whatnot. That's very profitable. The reason why we like Tencent is because we think it is a company that's very disciplined, uh, exhibit a very good ESG track record and wellness to comply, and then also the valuation is very attractive.
0: One more question before I let you go, because you mentioned gaming, and this is something that's just come up recently, but I know that uh, it's, it's something that's caught a few eyes. Uh, do you have any concerns with the, the notion that the Chinese government wants to limit the the amount of time that kids can play video games over the course of a week? I mean, it seems like that would be very difficult to implement. Um, So I'm not sure exactly how they do that. Um, But I don't know. I mean, how do you feel? To me, me, it just feels like it would be a very difficult thing to implement. I I don't know (laughs) that I really, it doesn't make me any less bullish on the sector. As a matter of fact, I think it makes me more bullish because they realize how powerful it is. But I also understand the perspective of, there's there's sort of this notion that they could be addicting and that could be problematic for for younger uh, younger children as they grow up into adulthood. Do you, do you have a perspective there on on that effort to try to limit the the amount of uh, of time spent uh, playing games? Yes. Uh, the short
1: answer to your question, Jason, is that I'm not particularly concerned about this limitation on kids' uh, gaming time. Um, the reason is because if you look at Tencent, right, only I want to say one percent of the accounts are registered under um, the you know kids' name. Uh, that's uh, teenage or youth name. Um, of course, the real number um, maybe is kids taking parents' identification and then do the gaming online. That's probably <laughs> you know a bit bigger. But yes. I won't. I, I don't. I I I won't say that. It's it's much bigger. Um, so the proportion of the teenagers um, as a proportion of the total um, gamers on Tencent platforms, that's relatively small. And now that Tencent is not impacted, it is impacted somehow. Um, but then I think if you look at the grand picture, it's adults uh, that spend the most, both time and money on those games. Interesting. And then to be honest, I think the Chinese government clearly indicated that they are not only um, now, want to penalize those gaming companies. Actually, they want to enhance the status of the Chinese gaming companies because they see that as an important tool um, to increase China's soft power. It's just another format of um, media that is very addictive. They want to limit the kids, not the adults. Yeah. You, you just raised an excellent question, Jason, about how to implement um, this, this kind of regulation, right? Three hours. Per week uh, yeah. per child, that's very very difficult. How do <laughs> you do that? I don't. I don't think we can do it again. You know, one hundred percent. Just given how complex our, our world is, uh, but then I think with technology, um, I think the the gaming companies will come up ways to more closely execute the government's mandate. For example, Tencent, um, they're they're baking AI. Maybe they can develop some technologies uh, to. Uh, verify the gamers uh, by their facial you know, features to see if either that's a minor or that's an adult. I think we, with technology, the magic of that is um, they can enable a lot of the previous impossibilities into possible. So that's why we love technology at uh, Esoteric.
0: Well, Kai Zhang with Esoterica Capital, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us this week on Industry Focus. I I look forward to to talking again with you very soon. Thank you very much, Jason. My pleasure. That'll do it for us this week, folks. You can learn more about Esoterica Capital by visiting their website at esotericacap.com, and you can follow Kai on Twitter at Kai Esoterica. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus, or drop us an email at IndustryFocus at Fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks as always to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. I'm Jason Moser, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.